The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. In your copy of God's Word, then to Colossians 3, verse 1. Colossians 3, verses 1 to 4 will be the focus of our attention as we continue in this series, as we set our mind on Christ and on the incomparable greatness of Christ. It's what the book of Colossians has been all about. Jesus has been at the center. Jesus has been at the, at the top as we have sought to worship Him. And the glorious truth that we saw several weeks ago is that Christ in all of His greatness has reconciled us and made us His friend. Somebody give Jesus praise for that, right? He's made us His friend, taken us from being His enemies, reconciling us to be His friends. And so many things change, right? See, as now that Jesus has made him, us his friend, our ambitions change. Since describing that reconciliation in chapter 1, verses 21 to 23, Paul has been teaching us systematically really how drastically our lives change uh, once we start following Jesus. Our expectations change, don't they? Expectations about what life is all about. Our beliefs change. Our behaviors change. And even at the level of our ambitions, what we chase, what we seek after, what we pursue, what we give focused attention to or set our minds on, all of this changes. Now, I've said this before, but it bears repeating as we approach the text this morning. The reality is that all of us as human beings... We're chasing or pursuing something or someone. And for believers, this is no less true. We chase, we pursue, we have ambition. Not selfish ambition, right? Okay, it's not no selfish ambition. Philippians 2 warns against that. We know that. But we have a godly ambition. As men and women created in the image of God, God who pursues us, we too are designed to seek, to get after things, to be purposely active, to seek Christ and to set our minds on Christ as we follow after Christ. The thing is, as we become Jesus' friends, as we follow Him, his disciples, our pursuits, our ambitions change in the midst of all that we do. So let me read the text for us this morning, and I think you'll see what, uh, what this looks like and how a mindset on Christ really looks. Look in your copy of God's Word. I'm going to read it for us, and we will go from there. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. This is God's word for God's people. Very simple verses said in some heavy, some solid, rock-solid theological truths. But these verses, we can sum up like this. When following Jesus, keep your mind on Jesus. Very simple. Yet when the rubber meets the road, a little bit more difficult, is it not? 
When following Jesus, keep your mind on Jesus. See, our thoughts lead our actions. Our desires fuel our ambitions. And this is why in the previous passages leading up to this, they have focused, Paul in his instruction has focused on weeding out that deceptive thinking that imprisons us. See, too, that no one takes you captive by these things. But he's also sought to weed out those deceptive rituals that effectually decapitate us from Christ. These things that do not lead to godliness. These things that do not root us or establish us in Christ, but rather away from us. And not only do these deceptions then stunt our spiritual growth, but they also send us in the wrong direction in our pursuit of Christ. They send us away from Jesus. And now today in the text that I just read you, where the previous passages warned, avoid these things, watch out for these things. Now today it's a more positive exhortation for us, isn't it? Paul is modeling what he said in chapter 1, verse 28. Him we proclaim. He's proclaiming or pointing us to setting before us Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone. In chapter 2, 6 through uh, 23, what we've just been through, those are the warnings. Watch out for this deceptive thinking. Watch out for these deceptive rituals. But now he is teaching us, and chapter 3 will send us in a different direction, teaching us then how to live in a way and think in a way that follows Christ. Begins with keeping our mind on Christ. He's like, watch out for these things. Now go this way. Seek and set your mind this way. And so like I said, it's pretty simple. There's only two commands in our text, but it's rooted and established in rock-solid theological truth. Here's the first way we keep our minds on Christ. We seek Christ. Very simple. Just write that down. Nothing necessarily profound. I'm not going to dazzle you with some you know, eloquent language this morning. Just taking the text. Seek Christ. But look at verse 1 here where we find this. The first part really of verse 1 it says this, If then you have been raised with Christ. You see that there? If then you've been raised with Christ. Now scan back up to verse 20 of chapter 2. If then you have died to the elemental spirits of the world. And so here are two different uh, things, right? So two different uh, things in, 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 uh, in 2.20. Not Galatians 2.20 in this, but in Colossians 2.20. You see that? If then you've died with Christ. Now look down at uh, chapter 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised. Do you see the two sides of the coin? Here referring to our union with Christ. We've died to what? That's right. We've died to our sin, and we have now been raised. What are we just saying? We've been raised with Christ, raised in Christ. And so the if there, again, just like we said last week, could also very uh, uh, genuinely be translated sin, so it's not meant to like cast out. Well, if this has, is true of you, if you're in Christ today, guess what? This is true to you. You've been raised with Him. You have been made alive with Him. You are now alive. You have a new mind, new way of thinking, new way of doing He's not casting doubt, but he's making an argument that our foundation of our union with Christ, this is true. And so think of it this way. He's saying, you've now had this change in status, this change in identity at your salvation, symbolized in our baptism as we go into the water, immerse, uh, identifying with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. This here, now this change in status, you've been raised with Christ, now this then fuels how we then live. Raised then, yes, referring to this new life in Christ. So Galatians 2.20, you saw it on the screen just a minute ago. Here it is again to the Galatian church. Paul says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. 
Obviously speaking of our like existence as a Christian as like some kind of zombie. No. Speaking now of our union with Christ. Christ now lives in us. The life we now live in the flesh, like in our bodies here, our physical life, we live by faith in the Son of God, in Christ. Dead to sin, now alive by faith in Jesus who loved us and gave himself for me. Who sacrificed his very life. So what is he getting at here? What is he getting at with the Colossians? The change in identity means a change in ambition and who or what we pursue. It's similar to us saying uh, something like this, hey, now that you're married, now that you are one flesh, now that you are in this union with this man or woman, now seek or pursue your spouse. Everybody else is off limits and there is no one else. The search is over, but now the chase is on. You thought the chase was on as you were looking for your spouse, guys. You were looking for your wife. No, that was, you were searching. God has now brought you your wife. Now the chase is on. Now the pursuit is on. Now you are seeking after your wife. Change in identity. Change in status. Change is what then we pursue. And so what then do we as Christians, who or what should we seek? Look at text. Seek the things that are above. Let's think for a minute on the flip side of this. What do we often seek in our flesh? If we're really honest with ourselves. What is it that we seek? What are those earthly things that we pursue with our life? Seek wealth, more money, more zeros in the bank account, chasing the almighty dollar, the next promotion, the big bonus. Seek after comfort. We want more ease, more relaxation, more time to do what we want to do. Seek security, don't we? Life free of worry, low in risk, no intrusions into our, uh, into, uh, you know, our bubble. We seek notoriety. We love recognition. We want to make a name for ourselves. We chase after respect and recognition. We seek after relationships. More friends, more followers. Even as I mention these things here, there might be other ways that you would answer that question, but even as I mention these things, are they inherently wrong in themselves? I say so. It's not wrong to have money. It's not wrong to have time and respect and friends, is it? But it's wrong when those things have us. It's wrong when money has us. It's wrong when, when, uh, uh, when respect has us and they become controlling factors in our life, when they become motivations for the decisions that they make, when they become distractions from gospel ministry and missional purpose in our life, when they become distractions to the worship and the exaltation that rightly belongs to Jesus. They're wrong when they become ends in themselves and not just means that then rob us of the prize that is Christ and the love that is our reward and His presence that is our inheritance. When we seek after these things of the earth, they become the prize when, what did I just say? Who is our prize? Christ is our prize. And so we seek after these things, but then what, what, what are the things that are above? We're to seek these things where Christ is seated at the right hand. Well, what are the things above? Are we talk, is, it, is it heaven? Is it angels? What are we talking of here? Guesses? in a word or a person, it's Christ. More broadly speaking, what are we seeking? Where are the things above we're seeking is wisdom and His ways right 
But now Jesus is seated on his Father's throne, as it says, at the right hand of God, the place of authority. We're seeking where he is. We're seeking his wisdom, his ways. But this begs the question then, well, all right, we're seeking where he is, his wisdom and his ways. Well, what is Jesus doing right now at the right hand of the Father? We sit in there because the work of, uh, that he needed to accomplish on earth has been finished. His work is over, but now what is he doing? Well, the Bible is very clear. He's interceding for us. What is Christ doing right now on the throne? He is interceding for us. Here, Romans 8, 34. Who is to condemn? This is in the greater section of Romans 8 as, we, as Paul is making the case for our security in Christ's love. Who can condemn us? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, and who indeed is interceding for us. Right now, Christ praying, interceding, pleading our case before the Father. To the writer, uh, uh, to the Hebrews 7.25 passage we looked at last week, he says this, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost. In other words, completely. Kind of archaic word, right? He's able to save completely those who draw near to God through him. That's Christ. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. We seek the Lord, don't we? We seek after him. We seek the things that are above drawing near to him. Where Christ is. Christ right now, we pray knowing that Jesus is taking our prayers to the Father. We walk in the Spirit. We pray in the Spirit. Jesus takes us. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. He's saying, here, hear these pleas from my children, from uh, my sons and daughters, the co-heirs with me, Jesus, right now, praying for us, according to the will of the Father. What else is Jesus doing there on the throne? Ruling over the universe. The king of the universe. Listen to this as Peter tells us, 1 Peter 3.22, Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven, and look at this, and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Christ is there. He sat down on the throne because His work here was finished. Holy God, creator of the universe, on His throne, seeing humanity in our sins, separated from God and completely unable to make, do anything about it, make ourselves right with God. Christ comes down, lives the perfect life that we can't do, fulfilling the law perfectly, then dies in our place as the right consequence that we deserve. But He, the innocent, pure one, takes it on Himself, but rises again, defeating death, that we, as we repent of our sin and believe in Christ, might have newness of life. Christ being our Lord and Savior, He is now seated on the throne. His work is finished, showing us then through His life how to live, how we can be saved as we call on Him. And so what do we do? We continue to seek Him. We've been raised with Christ, have we not? So what well, we seek the things that are above, His wisdom, His ways. We seek what is true, what is right about Him, about us, the events of the world, our job, our relationships. We continue seeking Him through the Scriptures. We continue praying and, and coming before Him, knowing He is interceding for us and showing us through His Word what is true about God. That He is holy and just and sovereign and good and what is true of us that we are poor and needy. We need help. We need a deliverer. We need Him right now. Shows us what is true about world events and the things that are happening. That He is the sovereign one. He has a purpose in all things. He shows us what is true about relationships and how to live without the one another. He shows us what is true about our job and how He orchestrates all the things in our life. And so we seek His wisdom and His ways. 
what is true and right, but also in how then to live that out, how to walk in a manner that is pleasing, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. This is our ambition. This is what we chase. God's wisdom, God's ways to the glory of God. There's a second command in the scripture, right? As we set our mind, okay, this is what we're after. This is our focus. This is what we're after. But then we, second here, second command, very simple, rooted and established in this rock-solid theological truth. What does it say? Verse 2, set your mind on Christ. The ambition of our life today, simply, you could set it, uh, put it in two words, seek and set. Set, to fix, to tether, to concentrate. What does this mean to set our minds and on things are above? It means that Christ is never far from our thoughts and our conversations. That he is not just an afterthought, but he is the first thought. He is the consuming thought. He is our best thought. It means that it is fixed too. And so even as we think about, okay, well, what does it mean to us uh, to set our minds here on Christ or on the things that are above? Well, just here, as we're trying to think, all right, am I doing this? Just assess your thought life for a second. What are your first thoughts regularly when you wake up in the morning? Just kind of catalog those. Or if maybe you're like, I have no idea. I'm too groggy. I can't think until after I have a cup of coffee. I get that. Maybe try it this week. What are my first thoughts regularly? Now, there are times when there's certain things going on that, that you know, are just kind of momentary or circumstantial. But in the morning, was Christ part of your first thoughts? Time with Him? Thoughts of the Lord? Or is it something else? There's a second question. just like, how long does it take for uh, biblical truth to enter into your inner conversation? Before any words leave your mouth, your own uh, you know, self-talk, the things that you think about in your own mind, and the things that you think about before you say, again, maybe you're thinking, I just, I just say things. I don't, I don't think, you hopefully you get what I'm saying. How long is it? Is Christ just an afterthought, or is he part of your first thoughts? Just ask the Lord these things. It's us now. Share it with your small group. Share them with some close friends. Look at the connection here between the two commands. Set in rock-solid theological truth, really on both sides, but then we're told to seek the things that are above, and then set our minds on the things above, and so like, note the connection here. It's like you're seeking the things that are above. Christ's wisdom, Christ's ways, and then once you find them, set your mind there on them. Don't just discard them. Don't just dismiss them. Let it set roots so it can be built up and established in the faith. He's saying here, you found it. Okay, here's Christ's wisdom and ways. Now set your mind, be firm, be fixed, be tethered to the wisdom and ways of Jesus Christ. But the reality is, it's easy to set our minds on the things of the earth, right? Even though here, look, in verse 2, it says, set your minds on things above, not on things of the earth. And that's way too easy, isn't it? Like, this is where we live. This is our reality. This is what we're looking at. And what are those earthly things that we set our minds on? Our minds get fixed on, obsessed with, tethered to, concentrated on, that occupy all of our down thoughts. Oftentimes, the earthly things are pain. The things that cause us grief, cause us hurt. The things you know, that are worrying us, we would categorize as suffering or trials. 
Minds are often set and fixated on the problems that we have. The things that we can't control, the things that are beyond our power to fix. Minds get fixed there, tethered there. It gets set on, on people. Both in good ways and in bad ways, don't they? Relationships. As we're pursuing this person and, and she occupies all of our thoughts or he occupies all of our thoughts as we're in that Twitter-pated uh, phase of pursuit and relationship and dating and engagement and all that. Or the strife that is existing between your kids or your spouse or a friend or parent or grandparent or... Minds get set on power, authority, responsibility, things that are entrusted to us. Set on prestige, notoriety, respect. But see, in all of these things, if our minds are set there, we have expectations and desires. Where do these then thoughts, if we let our minds be set there, established in them, if they dwell there, where do they lead us? Well, at some point, they're all going to disappoint us. And if that disappointed is, uh, disappointment is left unchecked, you've heard me say this before, it leads to bitterness. If that bitterness is left unchecked, then it leads to departure away from Christ. Because where is our joy? Where is true satisfaction? Or in whom, should I say, is true satisfaction only and always and forever found? Jesus, only in Christ do we truly and always satisfy. That's why he's saying don't set your minds on these things. He's not saying just ignore them. He's not saying just like sweep them under the rug. He's not saying just forget about all these things or hit the delete button or leave them neglected. What he's saying is do not set your minds here on the things that are below because they will lead you to disappointment and bitterness and a departure from Christ. Instead, set your minds where? On things above, where Christ is, we set our minds on Christ. To the church in Philippi, he says this, Philippians 4, 8-9, through 9, you probably know these verses, maybe you've even memorized them, but it says this, Finally, brothers, sisters, true, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Church, where are all those things, all those traits listed in verse 8, where are all those things found? In Christ, above, where He is. These are the things, that, or this is the place, and in Him is where we find ourselves. This is what we think about. That is where we set our minds. But you know what? I love verse 9, and oftentimes we forget it. Because it's easy to set our minds on the things that are antithetical to that list of verses. It's easy to set our minds on the things I just mentioned. But what does it take to do it? It takes practice. Paul's saying, you've seen me model these things for you. He's not claiming perfection, but he said to the church at Philippi, I was there with you. You saw how I lived it. Now practice. Be self-disciplined to train your minds. Why? Because the reward is great. The God of peace will be with you. Who wants some of that? Me. You want that? Absolutely. Set your minds on the things above where Christ is, 
where Christ is not on the things that are on earth. Why? Because if we set our minds on the things of, on, in heaven, if we set our minds on Christ, look where it leads us to in verses 3 and 4. It leads us to freedom. You have died. You've been set free from sin, right? Not our physical death. You've been set uh, free. If then in Christ you have died to sin. If our minds are set on Christ, you have freedom, a past. You also have a present security. Look, for we are hidden. You see that your life is hidden with Christ in God. You have safety and security wrapped up in Jesus Christ. And the same inseparable love that exists between Jesus and His Father, we're wrapped up, we're hidden in it. Picture it this way, like Aaron and I will often be hugging and embracing, and guess who likes to just always weasel their way like right in between us? One of our kids, right? Inseparable love that exists in our union. One of our kids always likes to come and hide himself or herself in the midst of it. This is the same truth here. We're hidden. We have a present security, but also a future glory. When Christ, who is your life, your life, your eternal life, your life right now, your whole life, Christ, who is your life, when he appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. When Christ comes, we will meet him in the air. Here's the thing. Depending upon the earthly problem, here's we're pursuing Christ. Our ambitions change. We're now with Christ. He's not negating. He's not diminishing the real life things that happen on this earth. He's just saying, don't set your minds on it. Don't pursue those things. Set your mind. Seek after Christ. And when we come to these problems, when we come to these things, we must counter it with biblical truth. These eternal realities, these rocks, all the theological truths that we've just said on here. You know, it's like, okay, I can't get this temptation out of my mind. It's alluring. It's enticing. It's drawing me in. The passing pleasures of sin are looking really good right now. What do we do? We set our minds. I'm dead to that to the freedom that we have in Christ. No, we set our minds worth seeking after God. I got this temptation. No, I've died to that. Christ died for that. I'm hidden in that. I'm dead. I'm, I'm, I'm dead to it. No, I have this freedom here and we set our minds on it. Set our minds on Christ who is our life. We're fearful of losing a job. Benefits that come with it. The security that uh, comes with uh, this, uh, with this uh, position here. No. We set our minds to the security that we have in Christ. You are hidden with Christ. Come what may. Every job, every relationship, there's disappointment. But in Christ, there's true security. Who can condemn? No one. Be consumed by grief. Thoughts of the diagnosis everywhere. Thoughts of him or her everywhere. Covering over everything. Set your mind on glory. Christ, who is your life, when he appears, you will appear with him. Pain, the things that you're feeling now that consume us, have an expiration date. One day it'll all be undone. who is your life, appears. It's as good as done, y'all. It's a hope that we have. We 
set our minds here. It is far weightier, far weightier than any weight or heaviness of grief or pain or problems or fear that we have now that you may or may not be experiencing. What does it take? It takes practice and prayers. All these things, seeking after Christ, keeping our mind fixed on here because we're bombarded with thoughts of all kinds of things all day, every day. That's, that's all, the media, social media, marketing, all that stuff is all built around deluging us with thoughts about them. The problems work the same way. So as Christ followers, as our ambitions change, as our habits change, as our thoughts change, it takes practice, it takes prayers. Because you know how else to assess when it comes to these things and to ask your life, am I seeking Christ? Am I, am I, uh, uh, am I set my mind where Christ is? How do we assess it? Well, think about how we pray. Are we praying, God, give me a new job? Or are we saying, God, teach me about you. Grow me, help me to bear fruit in the midst of my job today. Are we praying, God, take away the pain, give me more comfort? Or are we saying, God, give me your strength, your endurance, your joy, through the midst of this discomfort. Success and how we answer that question, well, how can I pray for you? How do you pray for yourself and others? Because this is ultimately where this verse is getting at. It's how we're going to end our, our service today as well, as we're going to sing and we're going to pray and we're going to seek the Lord and we're going to set our minds on the Lord together. That's what it is. That's, that's the command here that he's telling us. It's in, yes, our thoughts here as we live out our life every day, but it's a call to come and pray. Seeking the Lord, his strength, his face, and worship and singing and praying. It's like he's told us, hey, here's the play to run. Things of the earth are consuming us. Things of the earth are causing us grief. Things of the earth uh, aren't going our way. Well, guess what? Seek and set. Seek and set. And so we're going to just do that. We've been told to play, and so now we're going to run the play as we close our service uh, today. We're going to sing some more songs. If you're new with us, uh, maybe you've not experienced uh, uh, this before. We're just going to we're going to sing some verse, uh, verses and some songs. We're going to give some time. There'll be prompts on the screen for us to pray, to pray uh, on our own, to pray in pairs. Maybe you need a friend. Uh, but the things that we've been talking about, we're just going to come and we're going to set our minds. We're going to seek the Lord through prayer. We're going to set our minds on the things that are above, seeking His wisdom and His ways. Very simple, simple commands set in rock-solid theological truth, and so we're going to get after it today. This may be a little awkward for you. Maybe praying aloud, praying with somebody else, maybe that's not something, maybe just even praying with your spouse might be something that is not a regular habit in your life. That's okay. Today's a new day. The Lord's not here to you know, judge us, be like, well, you didn't ask that quite in the right way. The Lord delights to hear from us, does he not, church? The same way that I love the more uh, uh, educated or more mature conversations with my older children, and I love just the incoherent babblings of Dada and all its iterations from my eight-month-old, I delight to hear from my kids, the father delights to hear from us, no matter how you sound today. It's not about impressing anybody. We're just going to come humbly before the Lord as we sing 
and pray together. You can stay seated as you, as you sing and pray. If you want to stand, that's fine. You can pray aloud. You can pray quietly. We're pursuing the Lord. Not our own prestige, not our own glory. We're seeking the Lord together. You ready to do that? Let me pray and kick us off. The worship team's going to come up, and then we'll close in this way. God in heaven, here we are. Here we are before you, God. Many thoughts on our mind, many things happening, many uh, uh, um, events in, in our life, earthly things, Lord. We're easily distracted. And yet, Lord, we know that you are so much better, that Jesus, you uh, have paid it all. That you've won us this access, that right now you're interceding for us, you're ruling over the universe, and so we're calling out to you to do what only you can do, Lord. There's heaviness on our hearts, there's things on our hearts, there's, there's, God, there's even things that we want to praise you for and adore you for, to give thanks to you for. God, we're just even now doing what you've called us to do, seeking the things that are above, seeking your wisdom and your ways. So be honored, be glorified as we sing, pray, and seek your face, even now. Pray in Christ's name. Amen. Church, we're going to sing now. Like I said, you can just stay seated as we begin the song. If you would like to stand, that's fine. But let's sing and raise our voices together in song.
church take some space now to pray there's some prompts on the screen rejoice in the hope and peace and strength that are found in Christ tell him what you need in this pain this problem ask him to complete this work in you Whatever it is, whatever pain, whatever problem, whatever, where there's darkness, add him to shine his light. Add your prayers even now. thank you that nothing is wasted none of our circumstances none of the things that uh, you lead us through are for nothing are not purposeless but you're doing a good work to exalt yourself and to grow us we confess Lord we just don't always see that nor do we desire it So we need you, God. We need you. We're looking to you for our hope, for our strength, for our joy and satisfaction. Because we have died. Our life is hidden with Christ in you. So we need more of you. We're trusting you even now, God. Praying and singing and seeking you, Lord.